give me what you have that day. Give me the best of what you have that day. And then own it. Take some ownership for what you did. I think those two things, if we can do those two things, I think we have a pretty good chance to be successful. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. During this episode, I interview Reggie Christensen, head coach of the Sacramento State Hornets. Reggie has led his teams to eight straight 30-plus win seasons, eight straight postseason appearances, and they have also won the WAC three times, and he is a two-time WAC Coach of the Year. On the show, Reggie talks about the importance of balance between developing players individually and as a collective team. And we also talk about how a typical week of training unfolds, how he goes about getting to know his players better, and his recommendations for building a productive team culture. Here is Reggie Christensen. Reggie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Of course, of course. Now, just to give our listeners a vision of what you have going on, you're in Hawaii for a former player's wedding. Is that right? Yeah, one of our former pitchers, Bruno Mateo, actually holds the record at Sac State for career wins. Was married this last Saturday, so convinced my family to fly out, and uh, we brought my parents, and we fly back tomorrow. Well, that's awesome, and I'm I'm sure it took some convincing to get your family on a plane to Hawaii for Thanksgiving. But for our listeners who want to get to know you a little bit better, can you give us a short snapshot of how you got into coaching? I think I knew from when I was in high school, I coached middle school basketball and I actually coached Little League Baseball when I was in high school, my senior year. And I just fell in love with the organization of putting practice together and watching kids compete. So I think I knew at an early age that I wanted to get into coaching. And uh, I was fortunate enough to play at Menlo College and I took me a little bit an extra semester or two to graduate, so I was the assistant coach there. I went back to Ferndale High School, where I where I played and went to school, and was a head coach there for a year. And then my former coach at Menlo College was going to get out of college coaching, and I was fortunate enough at you know, I think 23, 24 years old to be, become a head coach at Menlo College. Um, so I knew within that first year that that was really something I wanted to do, and I became really close with some of the coaches at Stanford at the time doing their camp because we were just right next door to those guys and uh, had a chance to talk to Rich Price who was at Cal Poly Samuel Smith at the time and just got the job at the University of Kansas and begged and pleaded and convinced them to be his volunteer coach. So we were out there for my wife and I had just got married at the time so big leap of faith on our part to, to move across the country you know volunteers don't make a whole lot of money and my wife was fortunate to substitute teach and kind of put us through it for two years and it was a great experience under Coach Price and then obviously had the chance to be at South Dakota State for four years and then back to California it's actually the last 12 years. Fantastic well I've gotten to know an assistant of yours in Toby DeMello and he said that I should get you on the show so of course here we are and he gave me some great questions to ask you but I also want to start with 
you know, some of your first steps that you took as a head coach. Now, for new coaches, I'm assuming that you have this overarching plan for the future of the program and the steps that you want to take to get there. But where did you start and what were some of your first steps that you took as soon as you stepped on campus? Well, I think when I first got the job at Menlo College, you know, back then, most what I knew from a high school baseball or uh, to a very successful county Mac team in, in Northern California. And uh, we just, we took ground balls, we did some base running, we took batting practice. I mean, that was a practice for us. Um, so when I was thrust into the head coach position at Menlo College at an early age, you know, I was overwhelmed. I wasn't, didn't do a good job, I think, of challenging the players. And I think the first year, I think we were 11 and 29. And, you know, at the end of the year, I told my wife that I know this is what I want to do, but I know I'm not ready to do it yet. I know that I need to go somewhere and learn under some other coaches and learn different ways of helping the players develop because I really take it personal when our players don't develop. And I saw that group of players that I coached that year fail, and I took the majority of the blame for that. So the opportunity to go work for, for Rich Price was the first the first step in my process to kind of understand what I wanted to get out of practices and player development. Coach Price is a very, first off, he has the highest level of energy I've ever been around. So he brought energy to the practice each and every day, which I think is very important to have someone on your coaching staff that's able to do that. I'm not the high energy guy that Rich Price is for sure, but I want to make sure that I have someone on my staff that's able to do that each year. So I learned that from him. I learned practice organization, structure, how to put practice templates together, how to go about communicating with players and just being positive. That, that's who Rich Price was and, and is today. I think he's one of the best coaches in the game from the perspective, not only is he a good baseball guy, but he treats kids the right way, which I think is more important than how good of a baseball guy you are, in my opinion. So then I transitioned to South Dakota State for four years, and it was an incredible opportunity to learn because it's the first time I had a chance to kind of take what I learned under Coach Price and now do it again as a head coach with the challenge of that you were going to practice indoors, and we had to practice the majority of the time indoors. And I think that made me a better coach and, and more creative in how we put some things together. We practiced in a middle school gym on evenings from 1030 to midnight and had to formulate a way to, at the time, they didn't have an indoor facility. We had to formulate a way to be creative. We had to flip the, the room to get ground balls to the left side and flip the, the room so we get ground balls to the right side and do just some different things to, to be as creative and make it as fun as possible for those guys. I think just my creativity came out during that stretch just because you had to. You know, looking back now, I think that was those four years from how to put together some practice stuff and challenge guys was certainly a huge part of my process. And then fast forward to, to come out here, I was an assistant coach for John Smith for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, created a connection with Coach Smith when he, he was really good friends with Rich Price and worked in camps together. So I come out to Texas Bay for two years and, and John Smith, did a really good job of, of allowing me to be very involved in every facet of the game. I had some, was calling pitches on the pitching side of it. I was coaching third base and, and running the offense on that side of it. So he allowed me to, to kind of transition back into being a head coach on the West Coast by being very involved, very involved in the recruiting side. And then you know, what I knew when I became the head coach, I knew that I needed to hire you know, coaches that could come in and uh, I could delegate or hand off some of the responsibilities because I, I certainly think, from my perspective, there was no way that I was going to be able to, to do the hitting, the pitching, and do all those sorts of things. I think it's very rare that you can find a head coach that does all those things. Quite honestly, I think you're probably shortchanging your, your players if you're trying to do everything. So, transition being head coach, it, it was <laughs> the first year was uh, 
was not a not a success. But our, our players stuck through it. I think we learned some things that we needed to change and certainly have, have, have been well spent. I love that. And, you know, I think that we're all in the learning process together and, and trying to get better. And so let's go ahead and dig into the fall. What did you guys do last fall whenever your players uh, started to report? Sure. So this, this year was a little bit different. So we started practice August 1st. We used a foreign tour exemption. We played in a tournament, University of British Columbia, UBC, and then two teams from Japan, Tokyo University and Keio University. So we practiced August 1st of the 10th. We flew up to Vancouver on the 11th to play in the tournament. We had an opportunity to play five games. Uh, so our, it was a little bit different start for us this year in terms of how the fall started. But let me take you back to, to last fall. Okay. I have struggled with having been in the Midwest and the West Coast. In the Midwest, obviously, your, your fall starts earlier because of the weather. Obviously, you, you, there becomes a, a date where it's just too cold to be outside. So when I was at South Coast, though, we started practicing almost right away when the school started and we're done, you know, the, towards the middle of October. And we really spent that time on the player development time in the cages and really allowed our string coach, uh, Nate Moe, who's still still at South Dakota State, an opportunity to really develop our guys in the way, which, which I think is really important. But now out here on the West Coast, your weather is off and all the way until, you know, really Thanksgiving, you can be outside and, and with the team. I think a lot of, a lot of programs do that out here. And I just had, hadn't done a very good job of juggling and balancing the development piece, the team piece, development talking individually, the individual player-to-player development, the team component, but then also the strength and conditioning part. I just think we tried to, like, do them all at once, and I wasn't really satisfied with just in terms of the progress that we had made. Although we were winning, I just felt like there was more. So I was on D1 Baseball website and just looking at all the teams across the country when they were playing their fall games. I stumbled upon Louisville playing a fall game early to, to mid-September. And I thought to myself, you know, why is Louisville playing so early? I don't think their weather's that bad. So I just, I sent Coach McDonald an email and I just asked him a question. Hey, would you like to pick your brain as to why you're starting your, your fall so early? And I was in the Midwest. I did it as well. Now I'm on the West Coast and we're not. I just would like to know your, your ideas and, and reasons why. Left myself on under. Uh, he called me that same day. Uh, he called me on the way home from, uh, I think had scout day that day, and uh, he gave me 30 minutes of his time. And I picked his brain. Sure enough, he told me that they started their fall for the reasons why we started the fall in the Midwest, uh, to get an opportunity to get in the weight room and uh, develop your guts. So that's what we did this fall. We started team practice right away on September 1st. We spent five and a half weeks with them on the team portion, concluded our, our fall playing Oregon State in Oregon, and then really the last seven weeks, we went at it from the strength and conditioning and individual player plans that our coaches have put together to really help those guys develop. And I think it's been the best fall we've had since my time. Really excited about it. I love that. And so, again, it's always good to evaluate, like you mentioned, and evaluate what we've done in the past and reflect on what went well and what didn't. But, you know, we talk about culture a lot and we talk about the environment a lot as well. And so... What are you guys doing on a daily basis to build a culture, and what does that look like? If you could, if you could kind of sum it up in an audio form of what it would look like to be at Sac State and to get to experience that, what would that be? I think my job as a head coach is really allow these guys to chase their dreams individually, and obviously we have team goals as well. So there's a there's a balance, right, to to make sure you're doing everything you can to help each player chase their dreams in this game. 
and also a team component. So I think that we try to do that in our in our weekly plan to begin with, just so they understand what what is important to us. Because I think that you know, like you said, that the work culture, you know, what is that to, to one program versus another program? I want our players to understand that I do want them to chase their dream, play this game professionally, as long as the, the framework is that fits within the team with what you're trying to get out of as a team. So mm-hmm. we structured our fall, kind of trying to go go back with the original question of what the, what the weeks may look like. We went two days a week where it, they're very individual-based. Mondays and Wednesdays are very individual skill-based. The, the focus is on the player. The focus is on his individual development. Then we'd go Tuesday and Thursday night practices where the focus would be on the team. We'd have a lot of competition on Tuesday and Thursday night. Friday would be a very short team practice almost like a recovery day, so to speak, where guys had lifted weights that day. It was uh, almost like your old school take ground balls, have some sort of creative competition BP. And then Saturday, we'd inter-squad. We just inter one day a week this fall. just felt like the, the individual piece needed to be a, a little bit more at the forefront. So I think our players understand that I do care about them individually, but we also need to make sure that the team component is at the forefront. So that's how we split up our fall from a, from a weekly perspective. Um, but then we do a lot of some other things, what I would call shared adversity. You know, some of them call it shared suffering. We try to have as much competition or put them in some experiences that allows them to grow together, to overcome overcome something together as a team. Or sometimes it's to overcome a fear that they have individually. So we brought, we brought in a group called The Program. It's a company that goes across the country and works with college sports programs. And we come in and do a two-day leadership training shared adversity type of scenario where they're really putting these kids in situations to communicate better with each other. There's a little bit of physical component to it, but it's really some mental warfare, so to speak, so guys can understand when chaos hits and you got to rely on each other. you got to rely on the guys to the left and the right, be a good teammate, be a good leader. So that's one of the pieces that we did with our team to, to kind of build culture, build belief in one another. Mm-hmm. Another Another piece that we did this past fall is we, you know, obviously going and playing Oregon State and Oregon give our guys a chance to get on a plane, fly up on Friday and play two Pac-12 teams back-to-back days just to mm-hmm. give them a feel for where they're at. So we're always trying to find a different way to get them some experiences to grow together, but, you know, grow individually for sure, but also in the team perspective. You've mentioned a couple of times that you want to build the team first and build the individual as well. And of course, players all have some ego and because they want to get better. And of course, we all want to win. So what does that balance look like? And how do you get guys to buy into the team concept as well as the individual concept? Well, I mean, the individual concept, I think, is pretty easy because it, it, it becomes about them and not in a bad way at all. But I think that they all want to get better. So I think that you just have to try to find a, a way to, to split those two up if you can. Actually, kind of stole this a few years ago on Doug Smith was uh, the head coach at UC Riverside. I picked his brain a lot, a lot on the offensive piece of what they do. He, he shared with me on Mondays and Wednesdays during the season, it's more individual-based and less team practice type of stuff. So I kind of stole that from him a while back, and it just made complete sense to me. You know, that we all, I think, feel like we need to have, you know, team practices in order for the team to get, get better. But sometimes what, you know, a group of players need is a little bit more individual time with a specific, you know, coach for them to grow. And I think that the, the, it needs to be split up that way, in my opinion. So I think that then when you get into the team atmosphere, I want to make the team practices as competitive as possible. Where they're trying to, if we have a, a goal in mind or a mission in mind that day, we're trying to accomplish it. 
it's clearly laid out to them and, and they're trying to, to perfect the drill that we're running or, you know, we have this drill, which we, you know, try to take a perfect into outfield and, uh, try the best we can and have less than so many years on a particular day. They get excited about it and it becomes really about the team and not about themselves. So I think it really just goes back and forth to communicate with your players on what's important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, they understand what's important to you as the coach and you've got, got a good group and they, they really trust you. I think uh, trust is a big piece. And I think it's, uh, we found, you know, they buy into it and it helps them grow on both sides, the individual side and the team side. Well, fantastic. While we're talking about it, let's go ahead and dig into the personal side. And it's always something that I'm working on and trying to figure out each player and their background and what motivates them and makes them tick. So what are some different ways that you get to know them better on a daily basis? Yeah, you know, I think one thing, you know, with, with this specific team, this is probably the first time. In my, not first time, in my time here, there's been times where I've been a little bit more involved in the hitting or less involved in this this year I'm less involved in the offensive side so I'm not coaching a specific area outside of the outfielders so it, it, I think it's important for me as a head coach to spend some time with with these guys mm-hmm. whether it be you know for instance this, Wednesday nights we have study hall and I do the study hall in the library and so what I'll do is I'll pull guys into there, there's a separate room in the library where I'll pull guys in one at a time and get a chance just to check in with them for three to seven minutes and just kind of go through some things with them, whether it's things are going on in their life, whether it's they have questions on the baseball side, academics, just continuing to build the relationships that have already been built, but obviously with the new guys, it's really giving them an opportunity. I always try to give the, the new guys more of an opportunity to talk a little bit more, to ask questions, to you know, just open up a little bit, because I think those guys are somewhat, they're pleasers, right? They want to they wanna say and do what they think that we want them to do and say. So, try to get them to open up and ask good questions and try to get their perspective on, on things. So that's one way, you know, try to have opportunities with guys on the road in the springtime. When we travel, we rarely will do a team dinner where it's just all 30 guys and mm-hmm. the coaches we kind of split up with groups. I still have some great Popovich, the Spurs coach. We'll split up in groups and I'll take five or six players and we'll go to a restaurant. We'll put the phones in the pocket and uh, just have real life conversations, go around the room and, you know, different questions. You know, where are you going to go on your honeymoon? To, uh, how many aunts and uncles do you have? And mm-hmm. just try to create some real-life conversations. And you'd be amazed at some of the stuff that comes out of that, that kids get a chance to get to know each other at a deeper, deeper level than just being a baseball player. So those are some things that we've done as well. But I just think it's really important to communicate with your players mm-hmm. and allow your coaches to develop those relationships as well. And always just trying to find a different way to get them outside of the baseball player and ultimately at the end of the day i don't want that to, to be their identity this is just a very small window that we have to get a chance to be around mm-hmm. each other quite honestly i'm not going to know 10 15 20 years down the road if i did a very good job with these guys on that level because that's ultimately our goal is to help them become you know productive husbands fathers and citizens in our communities sure and while we're on the subject of personal development I have this picture in my mind of head coaches as a mentor. And so do you have any or a specific process into how you help your assistants develop and grow? And what does that look like? I think just trying to find what's important to them in terms of you know areas that they want to grow in mm-hmm. and, uh, and obviously allowing them the opportunity to do so, whether it's, you know, I know Toby's flown down to get a chance to watch Doug a lot of hit with some guys or, 
you know, whether it's going to ABC coaches convention or just, uh, you know, researching areas that, that are important to them. So I think, it's, you know, obviously we've been doing this not a super long time, but long enough time to know that each, each coach is a little bit different in terms of what their goals are and what they're looking to, how they're looking to grow. So, you know, I think that I try to give them an opportunity to grow in any way that they want to grow, but also hopefully these guys want to be head coaches someday. And uh, the longer they're with me, the more opportunities I'll give to them, whether it's delegate responsibilities to, or spending more time with them on helping them be more prepared when that opportunity does come up. So I really, it's, I'm just, I'm someone that believes that the interaction and the relationship that you have with each player, each coach is, is very different sometimes. And uh, I think the deeper the level of relationship you can have with each coach or each player, the more you can help them grow. And I'm certainly not perfect in that, mm-hmm. in that regard at all. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to grow as a, as a head coach. And I think the more I grow as a head coach, the better job I can do to allow them to grow in their areas as well. No, I love that answer. And again, I've, you know, I've never been a head coach. And so I loved getting to hear your process behind that. And on a different subject, you've talked about mentality a lot. So what are some different competitions that you loved and what are some different ways that we, or what are some different competitions that we can steal from you? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. So, you know, we have a, a game that we play off the machine we call it the perfect game. And uh, it really is just a set of criteria that these guys are trying to check off during the course of that, you know, making less than an error on defense, offensively trying to to score first. We talk about scoring first, extending the lead, answering back, scoring in, in three or four more or more innings and having a big a big inning along the way. So so we have a perfect team that we play off the machine. It's very difficult. I think last year in the fall, I don't think we actually were able to accomplish it. So it's it's challenging. It forces them to, to also think like a coach because they're the ones controlling it. So they're given an opportunity to have couple of walks that they can put guys on during the course. They can butt guys over. So they're trying to accomplish the, the skill or the mission. So I want them to think, think like a coach. So obviously when you get the chance to be in that situation in the game, they have a better idea of what they're trying to do offensively or defensively. Uh-huh. So that's one. You know, we also did something really different this fall in our inter-squad games. I mean, Toby actually got this from Brian Early at, at Arizona State in terms of how they did some of their inter-squads where we have two or three of our best hitters facing maybe our, our two top pitchers that week. Mm-hmm. And we create situations. Let's say we have two inning inter-squad game and let's say there's four hitters against those two guys. And we create situations where the first inning there's a run on first base. There's nobody out. The second inning there's a runner on second and third. There's one out. And we go to the fan graphs, run, run expectancy chart to figure out, okay, what is the run expectancy chart in these situations? And we create really like a, a betting line. So if you were like a, you know, the five and a half runs is the number today. Okay. And so these four hitters are facing these two pitchers and the winning team, the losing team maybe has to run some stairs. So it really creates a competition with those three or four hitters against those two pitchers and makes those two pitchers kind of on the same side, if you will. So it's almost like developing that, you know, if I'm the starter, I'm handing the ball over to the guy in the bullpen. I know I'm trusting them. So these guys are actually on the same side trying to, five or less runs against these four hitters and something our guys really like we didn't play a true inner squad game this fall where there was actually like two teams playing against each other it was it was always four hitters versus the two pitchers and uh created, created that line with those guys and our guys really enjoyed that so that's just one area you know trying to 
we always try to find something different. You know, we do a bunting drill where I stole this from Ben Ola and UC Irvine. Okay. Where the, there's a defense on the field, there's a pitcher on the mound, and he's simulating a pitch without throwing a pitch. The batter had the ball in his hand, and he's going to bunt. He's going to roll out the bunt, and he's going to try to beat it to first base. So we call it the ball in hand drill, and we create first team to 10. You know, whether the base runners, you know, are safe by rolling a drag bunt or the pitchers feel the position, that's one. So they go to 10, and they, they have a lot of competition and a lot of fun with that and creates a little bit more game-like scenario because I think we all know sometimes we do that bunt defense. It can just become, become kind of kind of going through the motions if you let it be so right a way for those guys to do that to really enjoy so those are just a couple of things that, that quite honestly a couple of the things we just added this year so always trying to find something different well that's great i i love those and so another thing that i really like getting to hear because it's something that you don't necessarily know it unless you are in the program every day and that's standards or rules and so what are some different important standards that you guys have at sac state I mean, I, I think I want, want their best effort all the time. I think that it's as simple as that. You know, there's nothing that, that frustrates me more than seeing a guy not run hard. Just do what you're supposed to do. I want you to take ownership for, for your performance. You know, I don't want it to be about the umpire. I don't want it to be about more in a, in a position because the coach didn't put you in the right position. You know, mm-hmm. take some ownership for, for your performance. I think that if we can have those two things, give me what you have that day. Give me the best of what you have that day. And then own it. Take some ownership for what you did. I think those two things, if we can do those two things, I think we have a pretty good chance to be successful. Mm-hmm. And just some normal things that I think we all talk about. It's, I want guys to be honest with me. You know, I talk about it this fall, especially with the, with the young, younger guys coming in. You know, I know that at some point you're going to make a mistake, um, whether it's on the field, off the field, in the classroom, there's going to be a mistake made. I want you to be honest with me about it. I want you to, I want to hear about it first, and I want you to uh, own it. And then obviously be on time, be a great teammate. What's that look like? I think we kind of go through that. And we have some players in our program that are just unbelievable teammates. And those guys make us around them better. And just being bigger, stronger, faster. You know, we really talked about that a lot this fall. We played in two regionals at Stanford here in the last couple of years and walked out of there feeling like, you know, we're not physical enough. You know, so those are some things that they must understand that's important to us. And it's not our opinion. We track that track that information that shows the, what kind of progress they're making in the weight room. So those are just a few of the things that, you know, I'm very quiet, dry, and I think that it does take most freshmen a little bit of time to get to know me okay. from that perspective. But they know that I care. They know that I care about them and I care about the team. So I'm just trying to create every day, make it, make it a better situation so they can grow. I love that. And so let's go ahead and start digging into – what you guys are doing this spring and, and practice efficiency. And, and you said that that was something that early on in the show that you mentioned that you really liked. And, and so how, how have you found a way to make practices more efficient? And I mean, I'm thinking back to high school, early college days to where we spent an inordinate amount of time on things that, you know, may have happened once or twice during, during the game and, or even once or twice a week. And so I'm always looking to try and correlate practice time spent versus things that actually happen in a game. And so I really like that too in practice design and getting into the flow of what practice looks like, I think is really, really important, especially 
we talk about kids nowadays, but their attention spans are really short. And so walk us through what you guys do for practice in the spring. And, and I, this is kind of, sorry if it's a, it's a very broad question. It's kind of a loaded question, but sure, sure. Just, just give us a peek inside, inside what you guys are doing. So, you know, we start team practice, obviously, with the stretch. Some, some piece of base running to start it off. I think base running, to me, has always compared it to the special teams in football. You know, I think it's, uh, it's a very – it's a huge part of the game. You know, what we can advance 90 feet. I think a lot of games can be won just by base running. So we'll start start practice some form of base running, whether it's a ball and dirt drill, whether it's just, you know, your typical first to third. You do some, some leads and some breaks at first base. Just – something different on the base running side to get started and then go into the short individual defense component, just almost like some sort of routine that coach floors our infield coaches created with our infielders, Toby's with the catchers. And, and I'm a huge believer with the outfielders that the best way they can improve is, is uh, playing the ball live off the bat batting practice. So they may have an opportunity to go down and bunt during that time. And then we transition to some sort of team fundamental, you know, whether it's first and thirds, bunt defense, picks a pick series that we run i do not like to spend a ton of time on that just because i think that it's a lower percentage of what actually happens mm-hmm. the game is going to happen in that but i with the time we do spend it i want it to be done very very well at a high level and then we transition into some sort of whether it's a, a competition dp or some sort of team whether it's a two-pitch game with, with situations whether it's live bp off the, off the pitchers thrown off the mound that day some sort of component that way i do want our practices to be short you know, I don't want them to feel like, you know, the pitchers, it's, it's very challenging for the pitchers because, you know, they're, they could be done with their work in an hour. And the next thing you know, you're asking them to stay in the ground. So we try to, it's not an inter-squad day, try to keep that practice to a two-and-a-half-hour, maybe two-hour and 45-minute time frame. And just try to create as much competition as possible. I am, and you can speak to my assistants forever, I am not very good when it comes to staying on script and practice. I'll see something or I'll want to flip something and do something different just based on how I see things going. So, you know, my, my level of practice organization is not as high as some of the coaches I've seen speak at the ABCA convention. And for a while I kind of fought that, but that, that's just not who I am. You know, I'd like to be able to flip the script and put guys in positions in practice where maybe they didn't see it coming. And, mm-hmm. you know, cause really to me, that's what's going to happen in the game. So, if I can kind of catch them off guard and try to do something different they didn't see coming, I want to see how they respond to it, especially the younger guys. So that's kind of what our, our normal, you know, again, Monday, Monday or Wednesday, depending on the off day, will be an individual skill day with their position coach. You know, the, the other days in which we practice will look pretty traditional like that. Sure. What does your BP setup look like? I think it's different every day. You know, uh, Coach Flores and, and Coach DeMello do a good job with our hitters. You know, there's there's days where it's, it's competition on the field. You know, we'll have, I think we tweeted this out a while back, the two front toss screens at, ang- at, at angles with the machine on the mound and simulate, you know, going from one front toss that maybe is an oppo to off the machine at 90 miles an hour to a front toss screen that is to the pull side and just alternating, just a variation of speed, variation of the timing component and just, you know, putting them in a different position. So, that's something that we did recently. We've also done some things where we've recently put 15 guys in, in the field and see how many see how many hits you can get. And uh, David did this, this, Coach Flores did this a few weeks ago, just to kind of show them. You wanted to see how they responded, really. 
So what happened was it was three rounds of six. How many hits can you get? And there's 15 guys on defense. And I think the one guy, Keith Torres, our, our shortstop, had seven, the seven out of 16, which is a pretty unbelievable number. But as, as, as some other guys went through, the, through it and they weren't getting the hits and, and weren't getting the results that they wanted, they started to change. They started to try to do something different. And that was the point that Coach Flores was trying to get to. You can't control what the defense does. And you really just have to stick with your plan and your process and, and do what you can to hit the ball hard and put yourself in a good position to get that way as opposed to try to change something. So that's something we did recently as well. You know, I know Coach Flores likes to have some mixed BP. We do utilize the machine a little bit as well. You know, I think, you know, trying to, in this revolution of trying to hit more, more balls in the air, and I think oftentimes that's misunderstood. You know, we're not trying to hit fly balls. We're, we're trying to hit line drives and balls in the gap. And so we have rep Soto to, to give our guys an idea what that looks like from an exit velocity standpoint that we bring out from time to time as well. So I really think I, we try to do something different almost every day. And obviously there's time and place for the field of BP on an inter-squad day. Game day needs to be their day, and we don't want to challenge them as much on those days. But you know, David and, and, and Toby have done a tremendous job this fall with our hitters. That's fantastic, and I think that uh, you know it's it's always good to mix things up a little bit, and it's always good to have routine. So being being able to find those and balance those two things is is something that I think we can all learn from and definitely something that that I am trying to work through myself because again like you mentioned it's always good to switch things up but we also want to make sure that we do things like it happens in a game like you were talking about throwing different situations at them and then we go to a coach's conference and everybody is doing this one thing so it makes us question what we were doing in the first place and I can completely relate to that and and I think that that's always that's always something that we as individuals need to decide what's best for ourselves and our program. And, and I can absolutely, I love that about what you were saying earlier. I think that that's fantastic, but I want to get into some lightning style questions. And so I've got a, a couple of quick hitters, if you may, for you. And so the first one would be, what advice do you have for guys who are getting into their first season of coat of being a head coach? And, you know, what advice would you give them? I think my best advice is, is to hire, to hire the right people, and not necessarily maybe the, like the best baseball people, but hire the, the fit that's going to mix well with your personality as a coach and uh, how they're going to treat the players. I think hiring an assistant coach is, is number one. And uh, same, same to be said when it, when it comes to the strength coach. I think those two assistant coaches and your strength coach are a huge piece of whether you're going to have success or not. Well, fantastic. I, and again, they're, they're, would you say that whenever they're getting into head coaching from an assistant role, so like for their first year, you basically switch from, you know, you do 90% with the players and 10% of administrative work to kind of flipping that model where now you're kind of seeing every everything that goes on from the administration side. And is that why you think hiring the assistants are, is so vital? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's just one of the reasons I think that it, it's important to hire coaches that are going to treat the players the way you want to be treated. So that's one side of it. And the other side of it, yeah, is, is your your roles are going to be flipped in terms of what you're now going to be asked to do as a head coach. You're going to be asked to recruit. You're going to be asked to, to be in more meetings. You're going to be asked to fundraise. You're going to be asked to be in part of different committees on campus now that you are a head coach. So your time is going to be spent doing some things that are going to require you to really, really trust the assistant coaches that you have in place. I love it. And so the second question that I have for you is, what's something that you've learned lately that you are really excited about? 
well, this goes back to last year. I brought in a guy named Bill Kernan, who was our volunteer assistant. Coach Kernan coached with Augie Garrido. was uh, actually Augie's first pitching coach when we won a national championship uh, back in the 70s. And Coach Kernan started the uh, Cal State Bakersfield program and uh, was, became really good friends with Coach Kernan when we competed against each other. And I brought in Coach Kernan because I, I, I hadn't, you know, I'd been a head coach at an early age and I felt like I needed a mentor, so to speak, to help me. I felt like I was kind of, you know, going through a stage in my career that was that I just was looking for something to someone to come in and kind of take a look at where we were, what we were doing to make sure that we were on the right track. And you know, the one thing that he brought to the table was this idea that belief is, is the single most important ingredient if you're going to be successful in anything. You really need to, to believe and build on that belief as you're as you're going down the road to, to doing something. So. That's something that we talked about a lot last year a lot as a program from day one. You know, everybody talks about working hard and, and preparation and, and all of those things, which is certainly important to, to accomplishing your goals. But if you don't actually believe it, that you can do it, you know, I think that you're fighting an uphill battle. So that's the one thing that I'm most excited about because we continue to build on that belief as a program mm-hmm. uh, this, this past fall. And it's uh, certainly something we talk about a lot and something I take interviews from special athletes and send them to our guys. When you hear the word belief, it comes up all the time. And it's not a, it's not a coincidence. It's not an accident. I love that. And another one that this is probably my favorite question that I ask because it's something that I think we can implement. And that's what's something that you guys do in practice that your players absolutely love. I would say they absolutely love when we play the, the perfect game off the machine. It uh, creates a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. You know, we put the score up on the scoreboard. And they, they get after each other. That, that would be the one thing I would say that they really, really enjoy. Okay. And, and that's another... one of those things that's really hard. It, that, that's it's one of those drills that's really hard for me to kind of explain on the audio. If anybody has any questions, I'm certainly more than happy to, to email out what that looks like on paper. Okay. I can get behind that. And uh, we'll get into uh, ways to contact you here in just a second. But what, another thing that you mentioned earlier that you do differently but is there something that you believe that other coaches may disagree with you about or you like to have or you do have some discussions about? I mean, going back to the practice organization thing, I think that I'm probably on the, on the lower end of practice organization in terms of what I've seen and what I know of other programs. I, I don't know if that's the, it's, it's a disagreement. I just think that that's what works best for me. I'll never forget. I went to the convention a few years ago when Coach Corbin spoke, put up his, his PowerPoint on the screen and what their practice looks like. And I was – I was completely overwhelmed. Sure. You know, and I, I tried I tried to copy it, but then it got to the point where I just realized that I need to, to do what I feel comfortable doing and be myself and then, you know, come to find out some of those schools, they have six, eight, ten student managers that, that do a lot of the stuff that helped to, to, to put together a practice schedule like that. So, I mean, the position we're in here at Sacramento State, it's, it's myself and two assistant coaches and a volunteer assistant. Tyler Latore is my pitching coach. He does a tremendous job. David Flores hitting an infield. Toby does the, does the catching. And Brian Francis is our, is our strength coach. You know, we don't have student managers and, and we don't have those extra bodies to help allow something like that to work for us, which is fine. We're, we're, we're comfortable sure. with who we are. Oh, absolutely. And, again, that's something that we all listen to other coaches talk. There are coaches listening to you talk right now and trying to figure out how that fits within the frameworks of their program, I think, is is where the money is made and and how how ultimately we help our players get better. 
And for the, uh, for well, I guess this would be the second to last one. If we came to your practice, what do you think there would be if we said that there were three things that we would notice? What would those three things be? I think that players genuinely are, are having having fun in a way that you can see that they're getting better. I think that there's a high level of care for each other. I think that they they know what they need to do. And I think there's a good, there's a good as maybe we're not as organized as some, but I think there's a good flow to practice and they have a good feel for it. I also think that you would see, the number one thing actually I think you would see is there's a really good level of communication player to player okay. uh, during practice. I think that I allow them the freedom, I stole this from Coach Kern, I allow our players the freedom to, to stop a drill and get together to figure out how they're going to make it better. So I allow our players to coach in a sense in practice. So at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to have to get through it on game day. And I think there's probably less coaching at our practices than maybe others, because I think that we're allowing them to help solve the problems in practice as a player. Now I've always thought that the whole idea of teacher coach, Mm -hmm. our, our, our job is to, provide them a, an environment where they feel challenged, but they also feel like they can grow. And I want those guys to, to be able to feel like that they can insert something if they see something, as opposed to just waiting to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't talk much in practice. I'm more of an observer in practice, trying to see how guys respond and react to different situations. And mm-hmm. It pumps me up when I see Keith Torres, our shortstop, stop of practice to, to get guys together to figure out how they're going to get through it. You know? So um, I think that's what you see. Very good. I, I like that. And, and again, I think that's that's something that we should all strive for. And then finally, what are some of your favorite books and resources that have helped uh, shape your coaching career? I've read a lot of John Gordon's books. You know, our guys will read a book every off season and we'll kind of go through it together as a, as a team when they get back. I've read a lot of John Gordon stuff. Uh, just recently read uh, Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. Very good book. Uh, actually, my time out here. In uh, Maui, I've, I've been listening to Barry Zito's uh, new book on, on uh, Audible. Mm-hmm. It's been really good read. So it comes from a, a family of readers we all like to read. Uh, Jake McKinley was one of my former assistant coaches in Maui. So player development with the Brewers, mm-hmm. Ian and I, you know, the beginning of every year kind of have a challenge where we challenge each other to read a book a week. We haven't not yet made it through a year that we challenge each other. I think reading is important to have that growth mindset. Definitely, and I love Jake. Jake's one of my probably favorite baseball people out there. Is such a good person and a great, obviously a great, great coach as well. And and so that's really cool that that you two know each other. And so finally, I mean, you've shared so much with us today, and I'm sitting over here trying to jot down all of the different things that I'm learning from you. And uh, thinking about a book a week this sounds a little overwhelming, but. If any of our coaches would like to get in touch with you, just to talk about anything that you spoke about today, or to chat about different drills or books or or just whatever, if they wanted to reach out online, how would they do that? Uh, my email address, uh, or you know, I actually just got back on Twitter. You did. Uh, we have a we have a social media girl that does our Twitter stuff, and she convinced me to get back on Twitter. So my Twitter account is at capital R capital C underscore uh, Hornets. And then uh, my email address is uh, christra at csus.edu. All right. Well, Reggie, I appreciate your time. And, and uh, this will be the last thing that I ask of you before I'm sure you go hang out on the beach for a little while. But is, is there anything else that you would like to tell our listeners before you go? I mean, it, it just anything that we missed or just anything that you'd like to leave them with? No, I just think the biggest thing that I would say is just remember why we all got into this profession is to to make an impact on these young men. It's their career. I think sometimes we get caught up in trying to 
chase our dreams in our career, but I think that when you do that, sometimes the, the player gets lost. I mean, we all are in this profession to help each player mm-hmm. develop, you know, both as a baseball player, but hopefully more as a human being. I think we just need to constantly remind ourselves of that. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.